you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. For 15 years, we bring you the Chris Voss Show podcast family, the billionaires, the CEOs, the hottest authors, the Pulitzer Prize winners, the astronauts, the uh, White House advisors, you name it, have all been on the show. And uh, we just keep bringing you, to, what is it, three to four new shows a weekday and uh, 15 to 20 shows a week. So, Please keep up. You're required to listen to every single show as a, a podcast listener, and there will be a test on Saturday. <laughs> uh, anyway, folks, we have an amazing author on the show. She's written a ton, a tonnage, more like a ton of tonnage. She's written a lot of books, and uh, she's going to be talking to us about her latest book that just released, what, two days ago, October 3rd, 2023. The book is entitled White House Wild Child, How Alice Roosevelt Broke all the rules and won the heart of America. So we're going to be talking about history and some of the cool aspects of history that uh, uh, maybe were uncovered. I don't know if they've been talked about before, but we're going to find out. Shelly Frazier Mickle uh, joins us on the show today. We'll be talking with her about her amazing book. She was a commentator for NPR's Morning Edition for six years, beginning in 2000, when she was asked to give a national commentary on her state of Florida's Coming up, the 2000 presidential election. I remember that. Uh, she likes to say she borrowed her favorite quote from a South Florida geezer who told her to fire back, if you don't like the way we vote, wait till you see us drive. Is that a Florida joke? It must be. Uh, for six years, she entertained radio listeners by her Southern storytelling that included outrageous tales of her fictional family. When she tried uh, out one of these stories on a friend, saying she planned to open a story for the Olympics by saying her Uncle Bill was practicing for the broad jump by leaping over Aunt Feline, uh, her friend said, oh my God, Shelly, don't do that. NPR is dignified. Other times, she learned not to ask for her friend's advice and recorded hilarious stories that somehow didn't end up getting her banned from radio, only from the Junior League. Welcome to the show, Shelly. How are you? I'm doing great. Congratulations on this great show. <laughs> Thank you very much, and congratulations on your new book. It's an honor to have you as well. You. Uh, give us your dot-coms or wherever you want people to find you on the interwebs, please. Well, I don't have a website. Um, I let Simon and Schuster do that at one time. You, but, uh, you can Google me, which sounds a bit r raunchy, but that's what we do all the time. So you can <laughs> Google Shelly Frazier Mickle, and it, uh, a bunch of stuff will come up. There so, you go. Uh, anyway, it's going to be fun to talk about this book. Uh, there you because, go. Yeah, it just came out, and I had a journalist do a feature on it, and he called me up. <laughs> Like a week later after he read it and he said, Shelly, you made half of this up, didn't you? Because he knew I had done all that in NPR. And I said, oh, no, the nonfiction police would come and get me. Uh -oh. Everything is documented. It's narrative history, which means mm -hmm. it's all facts. And it was my job to put it together in a very readable format. 
-hmm. One of our great historians has said that we live with delusions until history changes us. Ah. So, it, yeah. My psychiatrist says that often to me as well. Yeah. But I think you think about it for a while, and it's probably true. So I always like to keep a big, fat history book on my bedside table. So if I die in the middle of the night, it'll make me look good. Ah. So I'm hoping that I have written a book, White House Wild Child, worthy of any bedside table. There you so, go. Note uh, to self, I should put a history book on my side table and move those playboys <laughs> off the side of the table there. So yeah. how many books have you written? You've written a lot of books. Or, well, I've know. written pro probably uh, seven novels, a mm -hmm. couple of children's books. I was lucky to get the job to write. It. If a horse has a biography, I wrote it for Barbaro <laughs> and American Pharaoh because <laughs> I'm a horse nut. And then... Um, uh -huh. Uh, I, I, now, I've switched to um, writing narrative history because to publish a novel today, you have to be cool. And if I was ever cool, it's all rubbed off. So I decided to try to do um, narrative history. There you go. So uh, what drew you to this book, White House Wild Child? Well, that's kind of an interesting story, too. You know, um, I'm lucky enough to be married to a brain surgeon. Ah. <laughs> I need one of those. Yeah. So he trained under uh, Joe Murray, who won the Nobel Prize for performing the first successful kidney transplant. Oh, wow. So when I was thinking about what nonfiction subject could I write about, my husband said, well, you know, that story about Joe putting in the first kidney that would work would make a mighty fine story. So I started researching it, and uh, his children said, mm -hmm give it a try. So I got that permission. And when I started doing the research, I discovered how many historical figures and um, fictional figures suffered from kidney disease. And one of those, mm -hmm. Alice Hathaway Lee, mm -hmm. Alice Roosevelt's mother, who died when she was only two days old of Bright's disease, which is kidney failure. Mm -hmm. And uh, Teddy Roosevelt was holding her when she died and to make matters even worse on that same day, his mother died Oh wow! in their mansion at the edge of central park. And he was so devastated by grief that uh, he could not look baby Alice in the eye or even say her name. Mm -hmm. So her, the silence she interpreted as uh, disapproval. So Alice more or less lived a haunted childhood. And I thought it would be really? a great, a uh, story and book to analyze how that affected her, how grief affects a child, mm -hmm. how a father's relationship affects a daughter. So let me tell you about some of the things she did to get back at him. <laughs> That's the fun <laughs> part. <laughs> you ready? Um, she was 17 when he became president. Mm. And right after that, she became the most photographed woman in the world. You have to think about that. It's 17 what that did to her. Oh, wow. She was like the first Princess Diana. And today, I think we could compare her to Taylor Swift in the oh. way that she is influencing a generation of young women. Mm. Yeah. When Alice uh, went out on the street, young women uh, surrounded her and applauded her. And she ignited a fashion craze because she had these amazing blue eyes. And everybody ran out to buy something called Alice Blue. <laughs> so she was really an obsession like Taylor uh -huh. Swift is today.
mm-hmm. if you can believe that. And to me, it's astounding that she has almost evaporated from history. Yeah. Um, and I had the great job to bring her back so everybody can enjoy her and understand the lessons she leaves us. Um, she grew up in a day. You have to really absorb this women's names were not allowed to appear in the newspaper except when they were getting married or were already dead oh wow yeah alice roosevelt generated more newsprint than even her father as president and she (laughs) competed with him to see who could would be more popular and she always won oh there you go well beauty always wins over intelligence (laughs) well tr was exceptional yeah. Uh, so I told you about the fact of uh, her dying after when she was only two days old. Oh, wow. But to get back at him while he was president, she carried in her purse a copy of the Constitution, a dagger, and a green snake named Emily Spinach. <laughs> a real <laughs> life snake? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like a little garter snake. And this is the real fun part because she was devastatingly beautiful. And at 17, she was just uh, so her sexuality was blooming. You know, men mm. could, not, could not take their eyes off of her. Wow. You see the cover of the book, you'll understand why. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she was realizing that at the time that she had a great power over men. Oh, wow. Yeah, so when her father told her she couldn't smoke under his roof, she climbed to the roof of the White House and smoked there and then sent messages to all the journalists that she was up there. Because this is the real fascinating fact. She was pathologically shy and could Uh not speak in public. So everything she did was physical. And uh, when he invited the congressman for the White House garden party, she would walk around them wearing her green snake as jewelry. Oh, wow. And love the looks on the congressman's faces as her snake named Emily Spinach explored the folds in her dress. Can you wow. imagine? Wasn't that fun? There you <laughs> go. It seems a bit of mystery, intrigue, and kind of uh, odd sexuality. So, uh, Oh, yeah. Know, that, that, that probably made guys even go, hey, yeah, what's going on with this? Oh, yeah. She had great power, and she loved to use her power. So as she she lived to be 96. Wow. Yeah. So as she aged, she had to transfer those wild antics into something. So she became like the first Twitter before there was Twitter. Mm-hmm. And all the presidential candidates went to her house near DuPont Circle in Washington to get her blessing and hope that she wouldn't skewer them to light up newspapers but she usually did and i'll tell you a couple of things that she said that were absolutely hilarious she said that calvin coolidge (laughs) looked like he had been weaned on a pickle Mm -hmm. and she said thomas dewey was like the little man on the wedding cake and that image never left him it more or less ruined his political career she ruined him with the meme basically an an early version of a meme (laughs) And she she just got more outrageous, more outrageous as the culture got more modern. Uh, about Lyndon Johnson, she called him a rogue elephant in old sly, sly boots. When he, I don't know, you probably don't remember this because you're not old enough, but he had gallbladder surgery and he outraged oh. the whole country when he lifted up his shirt to so, show his scar. Mm. And Alice said, well, thank God it wasn't his prostate. 
Oh! Wow. <laughs> and that made all the newspapers. <laughs> she wow. called F FDR two-thirds mush and one-third Eleanor. Wow. Yeah. Wow. She Cut said her out of the will if I was him. I don't know. <laughs> she said Truman was incapable of overcoming his Cincinnati quality. Which, after wearing it as a persona for so long, it just became him. And about Eisenhower, she said, you could watch him trying to find the right words and arrange them in his head like Scrabble. Wow. She, she was hard on everybody. But his favorite, her favorite politician was Bobby Kennedy. And oh, every really? time, yeah, every time they were at a party, he would make a beeline to go sit beside her and they would uh, trade insults. <laughs> back and forth and she could always keep up she um teased him about what her father tr said about irish politicians that they were low venal corrupt unintelligent brutes and he laughed he loved it so uh she grieved over losing bobby kennedy all of her life she said he would have been an excellent president now oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. I, I, I'm a big fan of Bobby Kennedy. I think he's my new oh, hero. Yes. We've had uh, we've had his uh, I think his uh, nephew on the show uh, oh. for his book, uh, the the gentleman who runs uh, the Special Olympics. Um, oh yeah, and, uh, yeah. His name uh, escapes me at this point, but uh, great show. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of his. But I didn't know that. It's really cool. I'm pulling this up here on the on the uh, interwebs, and uh, yeah. Uh, and that's that's really neat. She lived a very interesting life. Holy crap! And very long. She did. And one of, one of the things that drew me to her was that she changed. And mm -hmm. I love stories about change because you know I grew up in Faulkner land, and he always said writers should not write about the nuclear age or any of that. Our best stories are when the human heart is in conflict with itself. Ah. And Alice was because she lived a haunted childhood with no one really telling her much about her mother. Mm -hmm. And she longed to have a lodestar, mm -hmm. which is what a mother does, help a young woman become a woman yep. and uh, lead her through that to mm -hmm. become who she's meant to be. Mm -hmm. So um, that was, uh, to me, what happened was, should I give it away? I don't want to give away too much. Uh, really you, you just want to tease stuff out on the show uh, to get people. To play <laughs> it. But it's up to you. I mean, it's your it's your show. You can you can give away what you want, or you can tease it out however you want to. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the things I won't tell you about. <laughs> Maybe you hear first, folks. Yeah, but I do want people to understand that uh, Alice, when they unveiled a statue of her father in Washington they ask her what do you think about it and she said well I think it pretty well but it's pretty well done but you have to realize I specialize in meanness and wow. that's what she was known for mm -hmm. but at the age of 73 she changed completely oh really and yeah I want to tell you all about that because to me that's the that's hope for any of us yeah you know that we can change directions we can be somebody else that's what my psychiatrist keeps telling me as well i think it's important to know <laughs> <laughs> is he getting through chris <laughs> no he's not, he's, I'm not <laughs> i ask him how long he's been feeling that way 
<clears throat> well, anyway, Alice married the Speaker of the House. You know, there's a Longworth building oh, really? in Washington. Wow. Yeah, named after him. He was very powerful. Mm -hmm. He was a philanderer and a bad alcoholic. Mm. So when he played around on her, she played around on him. Oh, wow. nobody, nobody got anything past Alice. So she had a baby with Senator Bill Bora, B-O-R-A-H. Wow. Uh, you don't say it's exactly out of wedlock, but it was not by her husband. <laughs> and she would <laughs> tease her husband by saying she was going to name the baby Deborah and spell it with <laughs> her lover's last name. Wow. Wow. That, yeah. So That's Alice... That's some uh, political intrigue. You know, we just went through, you know, some intrigue with the House of Representatives here with yeah. the removal of, uh, for the first time in history, of what's-his-face. But that must have caused some kerfuffling in the uh, House of Representatives and the Congress. Well, they kept uh, it quiet. Oh, no one they? really talked about that. And, you oh. know, but in the, all of my secondary sources, it's recognized as Everyone documented, documented evidence. But wow. I'll tell you something funny and a little raunchy that um, – her husband said, Nick <laughs> Longworth, he was, he didn't have any hair. He was bald even as a young man and very sexy and very charismatic. And she oh. thought he would be president one day and take her back to the White House. Oh. But he was such a philanderer. And uh, somebody ran their hand over his head and said, mm, this feels just like my wife's behind. And Nick came back and said, I know. <laughs> oh wow wow so this this is not only a fun book it's a little bit raunchy wouldn't you say there you go well she's she's a sharp one that's for sure yeah oh. she's a she's a pistol whipper i don't know i don't know what the right term is for something you would say about somebody in that era there's probably some sort of term for it but so what drew you to her what what uh what really uh inspired you to want to write about her well, when I read that she was one of the historical figures who'd been affected by kidney disease because her mm -hmm. mother died of Bright's disease when she was only two. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, when you know about all of her antics, and I'm old enough to have heard a lot of these stories. And, you know, she had a famous saying that if you don't, if you can't say anything nice about anyone, come sit beside me. <laughs> and that was one of the first things I read about her. I would have and liked hanging out with her. <laughs> what? I would have liked hanging out with her. She sounds yeah. like a real pistol whipper. Oh, definitely. In the South, we call women like that a mess. A She's mess. Such, such a mess, yes. <laughs> and, then, and then we would add, bless her heart. Bless, oh, yeah. Bless her heart. <laughs> but anyway, she um, had this child, and the child grew up and died of a drug overdose. Oh, no. Yeah, when she was in her late 20s, and Alice took her, that ch her child's daughter as a grandmother and raised her with the love that she had never had herself. Oh, wow. So it was a huge transformative change, and to me, that's just stellar. It's wonderful, and mm -hmm. as I was writing this book, when I uh, published Borrowing Life about the kidney transplant, I was surprisingly invited to join a group called Biographers International. And after I wrote um, Alice, I really needed to get in touch with some biographers who could endorse it because oh. the book doesn't do well today unless it's got a really good endorsement on the yeah. book jacket. 
There you go. So one of the people in this group was Jonathan Alter, mm-hmm. who's the biographer of Jimmy Carter, and very well known in our culture as a journalist watching politics. He's written a lot of books about Obama and FDR, and he's just an exalted human being. So timidly, I sent him an email and told him about Alice, and he said, well, I've always been fascinated by her. And if you send me the galleys, I'll see if it's appropriate for me to endorse the book. So I did, and I was gratified that he loves the book. And then he told me this was so interesting that there was a recently a play in New York about Eleanor Roosevelt and Alice Roosevelt. And he he went to see it because I had tried to get in touch with uh, Alice's granddaughter to interview her because uh, Alice had been such a big force in her life, and she would never answer the phone. So Jonathan Alter told me that he met with a playwright in New York, and they said, well, she wouldn't answer us either. And the reason was, supposedly, or that they dug around enough to know, was that uh, Alice's granddaughter loved her, and she doesn't like to see Alice be just a summation of her antics. She wants her to be appreciated for the extraordinary woman she was. And I'll tell you one of the, I don't know how much more time we have. I could go on forever. We have plenty. We have plenty. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me tell you like her legacy. Okay. People are always asking me what was Alice's legacy. Well, this is to me just startling because it is going to tell you a lot about what's going to happen in our country. Alice could not vote until she was 36. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in. So after the 19th Amendment was passed, she and 126 million women in vote, voted in the 1920 presidential election. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Did, do we still have that many women that vote in, the new, in our current elections? Oh, yeah. 126 million. Half this country doesn't vote. So, and then half of it will be women. Well, so, they're hmm. going to take over. They're there going to take over. We're going to take over. All right. And I'll, I'll warn you, we're going to run the world here pretty soon. <laughs> Are they going to do all the construction jobs and stuff? <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. In fact, <laughs> Uh, there's there's i think 99 percent of construction is men and i'm just waiting for women to take over that half so go yeah. quality <laughs> garbage well, I, I keep seeing men as garbage truck delivery guys so still waiting Rosie for that the riveter. yeah can we, we go can back handle, yeah, we sure. can handle a i'm all for it let's go with quality 50 50 on everything yeah and the other thing that uh is part of um Alice's legacy is she proves how much fathers mean to daughters. Yes. And we, we talk a lot in this society about fathers and sons, mm-hmm. but I'm inviting everyone to read this book and open a discussion of how m- fathers can give their daughters self-worth. Mm-hmm. So they're not pushed around. They're not taken advantage of. We think that mothers give their daughters their self-worth, but that's not really true. I've raised both a son and a daughter, and the father is everything. Um, when a daughter thinks she's beautiful or is told that she's beautiful, it has to come from her father. Mm. It has to come from a man 
telling that to her. Mm-hmm. A mother can tell a daughter that over and over, but it doesn't mean anything compared to the way the father makes the daughter feel. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be an important conversation for us to have as a culture. I think it really is. I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, I'm a guy who's been single all my life and dated all my life. I've seen the difference of when uh, a young lady has a father and when they don't and the difference on how that works. And if, if they don't get enough attention and the imprint of a good masculine man as children and as right. they're raised, they will go looking at it from every man. And uh, it makes all the difference. I mean, it makes the differences to whether or not you're working in certain trades or businesses that are illicit, uh, you know, is seeking attention from every man. So I totally agree with you. I've seen the thing. In fact, usually when I date, I, I ask people, did you have a father? What was he like and, and wow. in your life as you grew up? And the difference in quality of the type of person that will be that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is everything. The relationship between parents is everything. We talk about that on the show. We've had a lot of people on the show. And the mother's important as well, too, seeing both right. the oh, interaction yeah. of the interplay between the two. But yeah, fathers and daughters and sons and mothers are really important relationships. I've seen sons that have mother abandonment issues uh, and it, it they'll just destroy their whole life and make bad choices in relationships, too. It goes both ways. Oh, I love hearing you say that. I've not heard a man talk about how they realize the effect of a father on someone they date. I don't think most people, men know it because most people, you know, they don't date as long as I do or sample size as long as I do. But I got a huge sample size. (laughs) And, uh, you know, most guys 20, they they just get married and settle down. So they don't really uh, see what's out there. But, uh, you know, now I see the end game of it, and it's not pretty. Um, and so I always encourage all my friends that are fathers. I'm like, hug your daughters, spend time with them, give them an imprint of what a good man, masculine man, a good father is. Because if you don't, they will go seeking it. And I yeah. know a lot of a lot, I know a lot of uh, mothers that uh, were raised without fathers in the home. They go seeking the attention of just about any man to fill that void, and they will try and fill that void. And unfortunately, they'll pick. Uh, they'll make very bad choices because they didn't have a man there to help guide them to make good choices. And that is so important. I love it hearing is. that. Yeah, we've had yeah. authors on that have talked about this. It's it's all simple psychology, really, when it comes yeah, to that. Yeah. We were supposed to be raised with a man and a father or a masculine and a feminine home. You can you can be LGBTQ and pull it off, but the masculine has to be there and the feminine has to be there. And that's so usually interplayed in, in two roles. There's always a dominant and a submissive in, in any relationship. Right. So I say in my book that the father-daughter relationship can be seen as a cautionary tale Mm. because um, I bring up, uh, as a narrative historian, I can plant questions in my reader's mind. Like Mm. if TR had been able to say to her, you're beautiful like your mother was, and I love you as much as I ever loved your mother, but he was unable to do it because of the barrier of grief. Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful book for people to discuss these relationships. And then there's a whole nother part of this that's extraordinary because not many people know about um, Theodore Roosevelt's older sister. Mm-hmm. He's about three years older. Mm-hmm. Um, David McCullough thought that Bammy, she was the first Eleanor. All the Roosevelt women were named Eleanor, and she was the first, Anna Eleanor, but they called her Bammy 
which is a short form of Bambino. Uh-huh. And she was she was um, born with a hump on her back. Mm. And David McCullough has written about it, thought she had Pott's disease. Some people thought she was in a polio epidemic and had scoliosis. I had to come to my own decision, and I decided it was a congenital malformation. Oh, wow. But Theodore Roosevelt Sr., uh, the father, is the most extraordinary man in the world. His family called him Greatheart because he inherited um, part his part of the Roosevelt fortune, which they made through plate glass at the building of New York City. And mm-hmm. he was so extremely wealthy. And for a while, Greatheart worked for his father, but found it boring and this, and discovered that what he cared about in life was um, children. So he became a philanthropist. He opened an orphanage. He opened the orthopedic hospital in New York, the art gallery in New York, the natural history history museum. Uh, He died at the age of 46 when he was just beginning to go into politics as Mm -hmm. the custom manager. And the political machine pushed him out. And he he made a comment to T.R. Roosevelt that he said, I Worry about your children and your generation because there is so much corruption in our government. I don't mm-hmm. know how we will make it through with mm-hmm. a democracy because all the politicians were saloon keepers and street thugs. They took over the um, government more or less. Wow. Uh, T.R. was in such grief of losing his father, whom he said was the closest person in the world to him. Mm-hmm. that he went into politics for that reason after his father died. Well, it doesn't so, sound like things have changed really in Congress. <laughs> I know. I know. TR is the one that when he was elected into the New York Assembly at only age of 28, mm-hmm. and they called him a dandy because he wore a tuxedo Uh-oh. every day to work. That's not nice. <laughs> I know. But anyway, he came up with the saying um, the wealthy criminal class. Oh, wow. And uh, he called politics the bear pit, and he loved it. So um, there's that interesting part. And Theodore Roosevelt Sr. so loved Bammy, his first child, who had this problem with her back. They didn't think she would ever walk. Mm -hmm. And he uh, brought a physician, an orthopedist, to the house who made her a brace and he would carry her every day as a young toddler to lie face down on the couch all day long in that mm-hmm. brace. And then he would rush in with toys or whatever. He gave her the feeling that she was the most wonderful human being in the world. And by the time Mammy was 14, she'd read all the books in his library. Mm-hmm. And every day when he would go out to make his rounds of things he was doing, philanthropically Mm -hmm. she entertained his friends which one of whom was uh john hay which the former secretary to lincoln oh wow and it this the layers of history that just deepen and deepen throughout this book and i read somewhere but it was not documented that at some point theodore senior went to washington because he arranged for the civil war soldiers pay to go to their families. Wow. And he went from campsite to campsite, signing up 
soldiers. Sorry, that was not good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I read somewhere that it was not documented, but they think that Bammy sat on Lincoln's lap one day when they were mm -hmm. visiting there. Mm -hmm. So there's another example of um, a father giving extraordinary well-being to a child. When he decided that Bammy was so brilliant, in fact, this says everything about Bammy. When Lillian Rixie was a biographer and she went to Alice Roosevelt when Alice was an older woman and said, I want to write your biography. Mm. And Alice said, well, why don't you do Auntie Bi? Because if she had been born a man, she would have been president. Ah, she engineered TR's whole political career. Mm -hmm. And the way she knew how to do it was her father uh, sent her to school outside of Paris, run by Madame Silverstur, mm -hmm. Marie Silverstur, and she had a school for girls. You know, at that time, they believed that educating girls would affect their fertility. Mm. And so they didn't do it. There was very little education for girls. Did you know mm -hmm. that? I did not. I didn't, so, I didn't know that. Madame Sylvester was a child of the Enlightenment. Her father was part of the Enlightenment movement in France. And she started this school in which all the uh, leaders of European countries sent their daughters to be educated. Mm -hmm. And the um, agenda was that they would be presented with an idea, a philosophical or political idea during the morning, and then they were each to come up with an original thought about that, analyzing it, and come have tea with Madame Sylvester in the afternoon and talk about that idea in either German or French. Mm -hmm. And Madame Sylvester educated these girls, saying, you will influence men to create more justice in the world. And uh. that's, what, that's what you must do. There you go. Well, that's probably why she was such a whippersnapper of uh, snark, uh, snark uh, meanness, if you will, but maybe yeah. uh, get people into shape, get them going to do stuff. <laughs> so so this, this should be an amazing read, uh, Shelly. Uh, so as we go out, give us your final thoughts on the book and tease out and pitch to people to pick it up. Yeah. Well, I think everyone should enjoy Alice. Read it with these layers in mind that I've mentioned here and discussed because I absolutely had a ball researching it. And I was mm -hmm. sorry that the book ended. There's so mm -hmm. much history mm -hmm. in it that we need to appreciate. And one of the main ones is that uh, my editor kept saying, well, he ended up <laughs> cutting like 100 pages out because we needed to make it all about Alice. But I went down all these roads learning about TR because he practiced politics as an art. You know, the, he had guile like Lincoln did. He got done what needed to be done by sometimes funny means. But I saw it as like his, his administration was like an iceberg with most of his artful moves under the surface. So when you read this book, you will learn mm -hmm. what it is to have someone of extraordinary character lead this country and he's considered the fifth greatest president he's the one yeah. that um yeah. let uh is considered great who did not handle a war the only one that mm -hmm. did not handle a war so 
Uh, and there's another whole tale I can tell about how he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Peace, mm-hmm. the first president to receive that award. And he did it by using Alice as an ambassador. Mm-hmm. So all of that is in the book. That's fun for people to, to discover. What an amazing life and overlap into so many different uh, politics and people that shaped shaped our nation in history. There you go. Uh, So this has been fun, Shelly, to have you on the show. What great stories and people need to order up the book so they can delve into them and read all the stuff. Why did you pick, uh, my final question for you, uh, why did you pick the uh, name White House Wild Child? Because it sounds like she was pretty wild, I guess, huh? Yeah, and also Teddy was the first one to name the president's executive mansion the White House. He renovated it. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, when he moved in, and he's the one who started calling it the White House. There you go. There you and go. I thought, you know, my agent actually um, voted for that title. He thought it would, <laughs> you know, a- agents try to help you sell the book, and it's catchy. There you it's go. It's intriguing. It's fun. But it's many more layers of that. There you go. Uh, so it's been fun to have you on the show, Shelly. Uh, tell us where you want people to look you up on the interwebs or uh, buy the book. Yeah, well, the book is available to be purchased anywhere that books are sold. It's mm-hmm. under the Random House uh, Penguin uh, website. It's on Amazon. It's in any bookstore can order it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't have a website. I took it down uh, and um, because, I don't know, you go on the Google my name and you'll see how much trouble I've been in <laughs> without being locked up. <laughs> I'll have to do that then. Sounds I'm, like you proud of, a little. I'm proud of not having been locked up or put it this way, caught. Oh, well, there's still time. There's still time. Uh, sounds like you might have a little Alice Roosevelt in, in you I as do. well. Uh, so thank you very much, Shelly, for coming on the show. It's been wonderful and fun. Please come back for your next book. <laughs> my honor. Thank you, dear. Thank you, and our honor as well. Uh, or, folks, order up the book where fine books are sold. White House Wild Child, How Alice Roosevelt Broke All the Rules and Won the Heart of America. It just came out October 3rd, 2023. Uh, thanks, your audience, for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you guys. As always, refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and Chris Foss One on the Tickety Talkity or Whatever those kids are playing with these days. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. We'll see you guys next time. And that should have us out, Shelly. Great show. Fun stuff. Thank you, dear. It's an oh. honor to be on your show. It's an honor to have you as well. Someone.